Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. People are coming to me because they feel like I'm not just the coach. I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm doing the work with you. I'm activating your energy, your work, and let's do this together. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Get really, really, really clear with yourself. Figure out what your biggest weakness is and solve for it. Recently, I had a friend tell me what he thought one of my biggest weaknesses were. And it's like this aha moment went off. And when I had the control of knowing what that biggest weakness was, then I could start to be like, why is this happening and how can I solve for it? And how can I solve for it now? There was a lot of power that came in a friend being such a good friend that he was honest with me. I think sometimes it's hard to be honest with the people that we care about because we're afraid of hurting their feelings or making them feel bad. But really like he empowered me by showing me something about myself that I didn't recognize. So just something to think about with your friends and if you're leading a business or in your professional life. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. Today, we have Faye from Boston, Massachusetts. So excited to welcome Faye to the show. She is dominating online. It is really inspiring, really exciting. Hello, Faye. Hello, Esprit. I'm so glad. What an amazing intro. That's the <laughs> most excitement. You. Um, Faye, okay, you're so impressive, but before we get into like all the things that I know that the listeners don't know yet, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? So thanks for having me. I founded Phase World Media, which is a podcast, a YouTube channel, and also a DIY documentary. And I have a business on the side as well, uh, which I work on full-time. So I don't work for, I haven't worked in, in corporate in over five years now. And my company is aimed at independent creators and creative entrepreneurs to help them celebrate their creative and financial freedom. And you've done 
a myriad of things in technology. Right now, you are just dominating on YouTube, which I know isn't exactly tech, but I think it involves a lot of tech. You build websites, you're particularly passionate about Squarespace, and then you have a whole background before that in WordPress. Can you walk us through when did your journey in tech get started? Okay, that one is pretty simple because I majored in computer science and math when I was in college. And I also had uh, several internships as a programmer. At the time, I pretty much specialized in Java. And uh, since graduation, I continued to work as a developer for about two years before transitioning to be a technical PM in advertising and marketing. And what attracted you to becoming a product manager? Like why, you know, computer science in school and then what aspects of being a product manager attracted you to want to pursue that particular aspect of the tech world? Well, I think I was extremely curious about all the things that are happening around me and not just the things I was doing. For example, I was very interested in user experience as well as visual design, other development aspect of things. Instead of just being a enterprise Java developer and I focus on a tiny little niche of the product. And I was most interested in learning how to be a project and product manager to kind of see the project through, you know, and kind of see the big picture. Uh, Really fascinated. So I remember trying to learn and talk to the product managers all the time. And that's how I saw it being a potential career path for myself. And you created recently uh, Phase World. What is Phase World and how did you transition from this world of technology to a more creative world, so to speak? Uh, what did that look like? Yeah, so basically I turned 30, I remember, and expect a lot of magical things to happen and like self-realizations and it was unicorns so- flying from the sky, like just yeah. unicorns, exactly. You know exactly who you are, you know, all your uncertainties are out the window. And I decided that I was going to start a podcast. So what I did was that 2014. I have a lot of respect for you know how long you've been running the show and such great consistency, by the way. And Thank I interview you. a lot of women. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel it like everything you do. Like, I, I feel it that much stronger. Um, and, uh, you know, like a couple of months into the podcast, I never thought about turning that into like a full time endeavor or my career path. But people I interviewed ended up reaching out and trying to do business with me. They learned a lot more about me and they hired me to build their websites, to put together their marketing plans. So slowly but surely, a year and a half later, uh, I left my corporate job and started my own company. And was that a terrifying decision? It wasn't for me because I'm originally from China and I always had this habit of saving. I didn't really, you know, I, I've never been a drinker or, or a person who enjoys going out all that much, to be honest. So I had some savings. I think those savings and starting investing in 401k when I was 22. Oh, oh my wow. God. You know, those 40 bucks really went a long way to give me the sense of security to say, if this doesn't work out for six months to a year, I had a cushion to to keep going. And walk us through what's phase world look like? What is phase world? Yeah. What does it look like right now? We're like, you know, it's been growing for the past five years. So now as it stands today. Yeah, sure. Let's start with where as it stands today. And then let's go back to like the very first element that you started working on. Sure. I think this may involve almost like what my day looks like as well. Um, is I, these days I spend a lot of time planning for video content because we have shifted the majority of our energy from audio podcasting to YouTube. 
And we started doing that in October 2019 because I had this itch after I released my documentary. Like I had to sit in front of the, the camera and do more video uh, content creation. So it was kind of shooting in the dark. I started doing things I was I loved, like freelancing, um, how to build a DIY documentary and things like that. And and all of a sudden, given the pandemic, as crazy as it has been for everybody, I have been able to, um, you know, really build a tribe, a small tribe of women, especially who are trying to live stream online using Zoom. And I'm building more and more content for them right now. And because of that, what kind of spun out of that uh, endeavor is a recent a small course I released on Skillshare to help uh, my tribe realize kind of the big picture, how to build a live stream business on your own, how to build your brand. This is not a temporary thing. So I'm transitioning a group of people who are used to working for uh, fitness centers and gyms uh, to really run their own business and be a full-time live streamer. So that that's kind of my what phase world looks like right now. A lot of content creation. I think the word technology being in tech is a really interesting and sometimes abstract term because I think a lot of people would maybe perceive you as like, well, you're not in tech anymore. But I mean, you are in tech and you apply so much of that to what you do. What does it mean to you to be in tech today? Yeah, I love that question because as you, you know, I almost tripped over my own words trying to describe my own company because I think I think being a woman in tech is a very has been a very vague term. And and I just want to say to the women who are, you know, learning computer science and programming today, when I was back in college, I was laughed at a lot. There were five women in the entire department. If you're not the strongest programmer, if you didn't get the sexiest jobs, places like Google, Microsoft, etc., that you're being overlooked. And I don't think women should limit themselves based on coding alone. I think you could brag about it. You should be proud of yourself. But there's so many other opportunities for women in tech. For me, for example, I find so much joy to be able to use my marketing skills and, you know, and, and humility to translate technology to women who are so ashamed. You know, so many women apologize to me. Faye, I know Zoom is supposed to be trivial, but I don't get audio and video. And guess what? It's not trivial. It's really challenging. So totally, you know, I see my role. I love to see myself as a mentor, as a partner to help not just women, anybody who are intimidated by technology to break that down, because I don't want to be another person to write the next Java book, because none of the textbooks back in college in my days, you know, early 2001 to 2006, it, it was just uh, you can't even comprehend um, I think the education of technology and, and coding for women have gotten a lot better. But my role today is to break break down any sort of technology. Like recently you introduced me to simulcast. I think there's a huge opportunity for me to oh, break simulcasting. Down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Simulcasting like things like Castor, uh, Lula, Restream. I want to break all of that down. For and for those of you who don't know what simulcasting is, because I didn't really know what it was, it's I kind of described it the other day as it's kind of like Zoom is this production set and there's this live audience. And then with simulcasting, a social media essentially becomes your TV screen. So the viewers can tune in via all via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all you could just simulcast everywhere. And so where the event is actually happening is in Zoom. It's really cool when you think about it that way. So it's cool, Faye, that you want to get into simulcasting as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that may be the future for podcasters like us. Maybe. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I can see the opportunity where instead of editing,、uh, rather, you know, it's about us facilitating and kicking off the show differently and broadcasting to literally all the platforms that you talked about. And I think when people hear this, maybe part of the audience, myself included, there's a level of resistance. As in, you don't need to be that much older. You could still be in your late twenties and thirties to think that I don't want to get on that train. But I think live streaming in general is here to stay. So if you're listening to this, you know, I don't know when this gonna go out, but by the end of 2020, it's gonna be a household name. Simulcasting? I think so. I think so. At least among content creators, and even for people who don't want to learn about this. But look, Esprit, you're interviewing guests left and right, so they're gonna hear about it, and they need to learn right away. And so, what does your future in tech look like? It's just very interesting how you've evolved into this more creative space. Do you still picture that you're in tech, or do you feel you're more now in the arts world? Like, what? How do you define yourself? Yeah, so interesting, right? Like, what is your actually, Esprit? I'm curious. What is your definition of tech? What includes or excludes women from tech? As a hashtag, so, as a category, I think just we in general get a lot of heat about in tech that in tech needs to mean specifically engineer, and to me that doesn't mean engineer. I mean, I built the first action sports social network, and I'm not an engineer.、Um, I had a business partner, but I'm the one who sourced my business partner. I found him, you know, and I would say my. Job title, if I had one, was kind of product manager slash producer, you know. But like, I'm the visionary. I'm the person that pushes things forward. My taglines are the girl who gets it done. And the tech could not be built if I wasn't executing the mission forward. So, to me, technology is simply a paintbrush that I use to create my art, which is connectivity, the connectivity of people.、Um, when I talk about podcasting, I say podcasting is like painting audio. So, to me, technology is just. Like the the tool that I'm using in order to achieve the outcome that I'm after, I don't believe that you need to be an engineer in tech, but you'd need to be utilizing technology in order to, in a very specific way. Like I'm not talking about utilizing posting on Twitter, right? I'm talking about genuinely utilizing technology, thinking about simulcasting, thinking about how different technology incorporates.、Uh, like I built a mobile app for the LA tech community. Like I'm constantly utilizing. Technology in order to connect people together. It sounds、really、like a social、glad. network, but I'm really glad that you're clarifying that. And if people are listening to your show, haven't heard that before, I'm so glad they're able to to get to this layer now because that's exactly my my belief. Because I think, you know, having studied computer science, worked with a lot of men in various industries, I think women find themselves apologizing. For what's on their resume or not, you know, and I'm sure if I talk to developers, which I don't as often these days, they will laugh. I heard people laugh. It's like you think you do Squarespace websites and you're a technologist. You're you're not, you know. But exactly like you said, I think, you know, for women in technology, the one lesson I learned is I wish I learned more about business when I was in college, not just、mm-hmm. an entrepreneurship class. But to talk to actual business people, especially women who work in tech, to understand what their day to day is like, understand their struggle, and and have a better sense of of business. So to answer your question, am I in more creative world in art world? Yes, I I completely admit that, and I absolutely love it. But I think one of the reasons why I'm able to stand out 
able to thrive, I think, in a time like this we're living in right now, the pandemic, people are coming to me because they feel like I'm not just a coach, but I'm not a coach to take phone calls to encourage you, but I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm doing the work with you. I'm activating your energy, your work, and let's do this together. I'm happy to explain it too. I think that's kind of where my superpower is. Going back to the beginning of your story on, you know, studying computer science, computer programming in school, when did you first take an interest in the tech world? Do Were you a kid? What what sparked that initial intrigue? Yeah, I think this is to like reveal our, our ages. You know, I was born in 83 and I remember that for us, I was really lucky because my mom, as a fairly world-renowned artist, had people from Europe and North America visit her all the time. And I was very lucky in the 94, I had my first computer was a 4, 486. I don't even know how to say it correctly anymore. Like a 386 and there's a 486. And I loved it. All I had on the computer was maybe the paint app and, you know, learning to code the most basic things. I, you know, I really enjoy the process. But besides that, um, that sounded like privilege. But besides that, whenever we had a new, you know, VCD player and things like that, a piece of technology or a piece of device in our house, you know, as a seven, eight year old girl, I always volunteered to set it up. My dad and I always got into a fight, but I just love opera. I love reading the manual. I love figuring things out and problem solving. And then you took that problem solving and was computer programming presented to you to in college or how did you discover it? I discovered it when I was in high school and I had relatives living in Boston, knowing that I was going to travel from Freiburg Academy in Maine to study in Boston. And at the time, I really didn't know what majors are. And, you know, my parents weren't around. They, they stayed in China at the time. So I think for me to understand the power of computer science is to, you know, to be quite frank, I thought it was a really cool thing for a woman to do at the time, even though now it'll almost become that norm. There's a lot of support groups, a lot of YouTube videos. At the time, there wasn't much at all. So you pick it and you stick with it and, and make the most of it. It was a really big struggle for me. It didn't come easy for me. So I think for me to figure that out and I tell my parents is money well spent because everybody in my family are either a musician or an artist. So I knew I got that. Like I could thrive in that world as an adult. But when I was younger, I was hoping that computer science would teach me the logical side of things and kind of give me that base. And I also really want to graduate school with a job. You know, I couldn't afford to, <laughs> to graduate without one. One question I love to ask all my guests is what's one huge obstacle you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it in your career? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. What's one huge obstacle you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it in your career? I think a big struggle for me is very quickly by my mid-20s, so I had only been working for a few years, I knew I had zero interest in climbing the corporate ladder. That was a really big struggle for me to realize that while still working in places where 
that's what it's all about. That's what every, a lot more people are going after. But for me, you know, it wasn't for me. And that's when I picked up books from Seth Godin. I didn't know what a clear career path would be then for me. You know, this isn't working in consulting, getting paid more, getting, you know, more acronyms next to my title. Um, So I started working on projects for my friends. A lot of those were completely tech-based, including relational databases, uh, building things out, prototyping, drawing things on the whiteboard, whatever I could get my hands on, um, DIY style. So I think to overcome that is to maybe, number one, not look for answers just in closed places. Maybe not to seek mentorship too easily. Someone with a good title, good salary at work, all of a sudden, you know, this person should then teach you what you need to be doing. But like really find out more about yourself. Find the books that resonate with you. I I, I know that they're books that you reference on this podcast regularly. You know, find those people and then find your tribe. If you can't find your own tribe, build your own. You know, these days with Zoom and other technologies becomes really easy. I think that's how you kind of find your voice is to be able to talk to others and and connect with like-minded people. And you did something really cool recently where you have dominated on YouTube playlists for for using Zoom in the Zumba world. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I love talking about it when we think about like how to go viral and how to build an audience. I certainly have struggled for a long time. My podcast didn't really drive that for me. And we can talk about that separately. But what happened was as the pandemic hit, for me as an entrepreneur who, you know, takes fitness very seriously, just for the sake of getting away from my from my desk instead of working 24-7, you know, I picked up the the interest of going to Zumba and dance jam classes at a nearby gym. And, you know, since the pandemic, like all the instructors were laid off and completely offline. So it became a really urgent uh, priority for me to help them get back online. And exactly like you mentioned earlier, many of them don't work in tech and some of them even teach fitness full time. So it really took a lot of empathy and patience for me to translate and for me to teach repeatedly, sometimes hours at a time, not client work, but teaching these folks and the solutions I found and and the video I recorded that gave me the, you know, mini viral effect released a video I couldn't even say that I'm super proud of. It was a screen recording. Um, with some glitches as well. And I got picked up. And as a result of that, I want to tell people is it literally takes one video for you to build a tribe, to find your direction and your calling possibly. And then your audience going to give you so much more feedback on, I also need to know this. Could you tell me about that? And it just literally like a snowball that keeps on rolling. How many views were you able to get? So that video we launched about maybe a little over a month ago, now has 50,000 views, which is in the grand scheme of YouTube isn't very much at all. It's not in the millions. Um, and then since that video, that's I 50,000 human beings who have seen your video, right? That's incredible, right? Like this is part of thank you for reminding me now to apologize for these stats and uh, 50,000. And then people said, I really want to, for example, teach with music, but also really clear sound from my microphone. That was a huge struggle because Zoom is not designed for that. Zoom is designed to have one audio track activated at a time. And that's why when people try to use Zoom to sing happy birthday as a family, it's a complete disaster. So I have to teach people how to use loopback and also a mixer so that it can kind of translate 
and 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 divide one audio track into multiple audio tracks. And that video has well over twenty thousand views. And then answering question to um, from the viewers and subscribers, that video has close to twenty thousand views. And just kind of you know snowball effect. And you behind. only have like a few hundred subscribers, right? At the time when I started this whole thing, I had maybe three hundred subscribers, and within twenty eight days, I hit my not only one thousand subscribers. Uh, 28 days, but also 4,000 watch hours. So in 28 days, I started to monetize on YouTube. That's crazy. That's totally crazy. What opportunities other than YouTube ads have you seen come, if any, from, from growing a channel so fast? I think it's kind of crazy. I think every YouTuber content creator will, will, this will resonate with them. And if not, I'm so glad you're, you're hearing this from me, which is as soon as the videos start to get more views, I get a ton more emails as well. Sure, some of the videos are about people who are older and and ask me how to turn on a computer or how to turn on Zoom, of course. But there are a significant portion of them are, you know, client leads of things like, hey, I'm ready to pay you like an hourly rate. What's your rate? I need to get on right away. I'm teaching tonight. So I get a ton of those emails. However, I don't have the time and I I don't wish to be doing this 24-7 is troubleshoot or technical support. So other opportunities that came along the way, which really surprised me, are Amazon affiliate. So, you know, I signed up for Amazon affiliate. I didn't think anything will come from it. Um, so all the products I reference, including, you know, lights, cameras, webcams, or different software I recommend, you know, you as a content creator will get a cut from it. It could be very small and you can be very honest with your audience, but these affiliate marketing um, income are becoming more significant the more traffic you have through YouTube. So consulting, affiliate marketing, and I'm sure I'm forgetting other things, but yeah, courses. People are asking you for a mini course to see the big picture. So I'm doing that. And right before this recording, I'm also working on merch as well. It's super exciting. (laughs) Nice. What's your merch going to look like? So I have called, you know, Livestream Mom. Mother's Day and Father's Day are coming up. So I have like Livestream like a pro or live stream mom, live stream dads, things like that. And like funny sayings. So for me, I said, there's one that says, like, I'd rather be home creating videos, face world media. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. How can people connect with you further and where can they find your videos? Sure. So I am face world pretty much everywhere on YouTube. I'm face world media. But if you just search for F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, you'll find me there anyway. And same name on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn is just under Fei Wu. And what would you say, Fei, is the best piece of advice that you've gotten? I think I have to quote Seth Godin again is do the hard part first and dance with fear. And by the way, I did ask him, I said, Seth, do you still dance with fear these days? And he said, only on good days. (laughs) Dance with fear. What does that mean to you? I think it's to do something that scares you a little bit. And to be honest, for me, the next step is going to be simulcasting. Because I don't feel comfortable at all, even sitting here talking about it. But I'm really? going to go. Oh, I'm going to go there. Yeah. How do you feel? Like, why are you? Unco- I'm, by the way, I get really nervous, too. But obviously, I just did it anyway. What What's the fear for you? I think the idea of not understanding the technology as well as I do understand the others. Right. Like, I'm, I probably be a Zoom pro by now. But I feel like, you know, I, I also been I've been a martial artist for 20 years. So the reference of me feeling like I'm a white belt just starting out with simulcasting, that's really intimidating. And on top of that, we need to get better at, you know, talking to somebody else with facilitating or presenting ourselves 
uh, on these live stream networks is also kind of critical. But you got to start somewhere. So what I used was Caster, and it was really it made it really. Sim- I mean, it was complicated at first in just because I didn't understand what I was doing. But then when I figured it out, now it's pretty seamless. Oh, that's so wonderful to know. So the scary part is just making sure that I'm doing a good job keeping people engaged and entertained (laughs) and informed. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you keep them? I haven't got into that part in the process yet. I'm doing the best I can. And so I've simulcasted twice. Um, It took me about five hours the first time I set up Caster, which probably took longer because I was doing other things at the same time. Um, I picked Caster because according to the blogs that I researched, it had the best pricing and it was the easiest to set up. Set that up. There were a few extra steps like in Caster, you can enable to live stream on Twitter as well. But for Twitter specifically, you have to also check the boxes on Periscope for each account. And so like the first time I forgot to do the two checks, I only did the one check. So um, that was something that I had to that I definitely made sure that I did in the second one. Um, And now following up, I'm going to look at all the views on everything, look at the engagement, but I had volunteers commenting on social media for me where the live stream was. Plus I was on the live stream. I had someone else holding up um, a phone for IG live to the zoom. So I had pretty much community volunteers in every place that it was uh, being distributed. Wow. That's super cool. Maybe you should do a video on that. Maybe she, you know what's so funny? I'm glad you said that. One of my mentors, Tucker Max, is awesome. He's very controversial, but he's actually not controversial for me. He's just uh, brilliant. And he very clearly said, whenever I, you know, have self-criticism and feel like I'm not enough or I don't know enough or I'm not smart enough, which is pretty often... He And I say that something's easy. No one would want to know that. He said, of course, it's easy because you're an expert in it. And that's always in my head that what seems so obvious to us and just like nobody else would be entertained or educated by that because it's just so easy for us. That means we're we're working and living in our state of flow. Like that is what we should aspire for. But it is not necessarily someone else's state of flow. So you would be helping the other person. And I particularly find it's really hard to get past myself in thinking like this thing that comes so with so much fluidity to me can be beneficial to someone else because I feel like, well, of course they, they'll understand it too because I got to understand it and that's just not the way the world works. I mean, when you told me about the playlist thing, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to you. Where for you, probably now the playlist thing is like not that big of a deal. You're just like putting in the keywords and you're doing, doing this and that. But for me, I'm like, it's a mystery. Tell me. Yeah. 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 I think that, I think there's more, possibly more opportunity for women like us who have more empathy when developing content, especially if it's tech focused. Because instead of skipping all these steps, I learned to not just trivialize everything, but really in plain English. Like I want my content to be understood by people who barely speak English, like, you know, or, or have trouble or English as a second language. And that's what I take pride in. You know, I wish more people could think like that. I think the world will be a better place and people will be less intimidated by the things they they wish they knew, but it's always a learning process. Totally. Faye, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. What is your favorite tech tool right now? It can be mobile apps, software, hardware, website. Of course. Uh, it's called Notion.so. So Notion. Oh my gosh, everybody loves Notion right now. Okay. Describe to us what Notion is. It is like the new, new popular project management tool. Go for it. Describe it. 
Of course, of course. There are a lot of tutorials on YouTube. I haven't, I've done one myself, but basically is a project management tool. But unlike Trello or things like that, it's Notion is so powerful. If you are someone who already loves spreadsheet, if you love Google spreadsheet, for example, you're going to love Notion that much more because each line item within Notion is a database within itself. And that's why you could easily reference. And guess what? My favorite feature right now, a feature within Notion is that you, you can create views. So for example, my producer and I are using Notion to plan for our YouTube content. It's pretty messy, pretty epic in there. And sometimes, you know, you go in there, you have these conversations, weekly status, you go in to say, huh, like, I don't want to be producing this content for May anymore. And it's not relevant. And all you have to do is create another column, a filter, and you can create a whole new view out of that. So you can have your conversations hyper-focused and super productive. And it's just unbelievable. And you can use it for other things too, not just project management. You can create a list of all your favorite products. You can use it to create a list of your favorite affiliate um, products and put it on your website and benefits. And you can color code it and use emojis and go crazy. Everybody's talking about Notion. I'd say I don't use Notion. I am an avid and loyal Basecamp customer. However, I did test out Notion and I will say their import feature is bananas. I was able to import a years old, like meaning that I've collected data for years. And so it's like thousands of notes inside Evernote. And I, in one or two clicks, I was able to import that whole folder into Notion, no problem. And it, the display was incredible. And I couldn't believe it. I could completely see the power of Notion, completely. Essentially, it, it makes it so they have so many great API integrations. So you could pull in data from all the different stuff here. And I feel like they're connected to everything. So whether you use Google Sheets, use Trello, use Evernote, I mean, I don't know what all their integrations are, but they they have a lot of integrations. So it just makes importing and exporting like a breeze. It's, it is a really great tool. If I wasn't a diehard Basecamp user, I'm talking about I'm diehard, like Jason Freed all the way. Um, <laughs> I, I would definitely explore Notion, but yeah, they, I will never abandon Jason Freed. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much uh, for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember, go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. It takes you straight there. That's womenintechvip.com. takes you straight to the Facebook group. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh, hi. This is Fei Wu from FaceWorld Media. We are a company to help creative entrepreneurs take advantage of the creative and financial freedom. Based in Boston, Massachusetts, you're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to we are LA Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world 
blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.